Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today, or shall I say deluxe breakfast in the class today, is dedicated on the occasion of Tefillin and Mizuzot checking and Sha'anez checking, sponsored by Sarah and Shai Mahani, Emmanuel Zara, and Sami Sa'an. Hazaku Baruch. We will be Sha'anez checking here until 1 o'clock. All the checking is done for free. If anything needs to be done, anything needs to be removed, uh, then the charges will be advised if they have to change a collar or something. But the checking itself is free. It's been sponsored by those wonderful gentlemen. Um, as well, th- do we need any more sponsors for that, Shai? No, we've covered it. Okay. Um, the next is Tefillin and Mizot checking dedicated for the Refuash of Miriam Bat Victoria, sponsored by Manny Haber. And um, as well... <coughs> Breakfast of the class is dedicated in loving memory of Yehuda Fuzailov. Alava Shalom Leunishmad Yehuda Ben Sipura Ve Mordechai. Alava Shalom on his first Askara, sponsored, sponsored by Ruti and Rafi Fuzailov. The Askara is today. Uh, as well, Shanez testing dedicated for the Rufuash Shemav, Chaim Rafael Ben Farida, sponsored anonymously. And the week of Kobru is sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. You. Okay. My friends, I want to share a, a powerful idea that was taught to us by my rabbi. My rabbi, Rabbi Berkowitz, used to say, Shalita, that every element that Chazal or the Torah teach us about the holiday is crucial, it's critical, and it's important. Nothing should be taken for granted. So therefore, if the name of the holiday is X, then the name itself communicates something about the nature of the holiday. So as an example, from the fact that Pesach is called Pesach, we're supposed to derive something. From the fact that it's called Hag HaMatzot, we're supposed to derive something. But it's not only in the word, in the name of the holiday that we learn lessons, but also in the intimations, in the implications. And if that's too many syllables for you, Go back to school. No, but the point is, my friends, that the idea of Pesach being a holiday of jumping is not merely, is not merely the concept, or passing over, is not merely the concept that God took the houses of the Jews, saw which ones were Jews, and jumped over them. And again, I always thought this. Imagine you're God. You see the, the sign that this house is a Jewish house. What do you need to do? Like in England, there was a term when you wanted to, someone was kind of trying to butt in on your conversation or whatever, or you didn't want to talk to the person, they would say, jog on, like carry on, like carry on running, <laughs> right? Why does God need to jump the house? Why can't he just continue on down the street <laughs> to the next house? Imagine a guy delivering newspapers and he realizes that the first house is a newspaper. He throws a newspaper. It's the third house, a newspaper. Does he climb over the second house? <laughs> Why did God need to jump the houses? What was the point of passing over the house? And I think that there's a beautiful lesson here, um, said my rabbi. There's a beautiful lesson here that's trying to be conveyed. That there's an element of jumping that was involved here. Now when you jump, what, what are you doing effectively? A person who jumps attains, listen carefully, they attain a level that they are not capable of keeping. 
even Air Jordan, his, his Royal Highness himself, when he took off from the foul line to do a dunk, even if they slow it down and he's sticking out his tongue and he's dunking, right? He still comes down. What goes up must come down. So the nature of jumping is when a person is on a level that they cannot maintain, okay? Climbing indicates that a person achieved a level that they can stay on. And in fact, there's something to be said about the fact that Pesach involves God pogo sticking over the houses and Shavuot involves Moshe Rabbeinu climbing a mountain. Those are two different things. One involves a process by which a person rises step by step, bit by bit, until when they arrive at the top, they could live there. They could stay there forever. Masha'en ken, what happened in the story of Pesach. So the climbing that we achieve day by day as we climb from Pesach to Shavuot is a climbing, an attainment of levels. We move, as our rabbis tell us, from the 49th level of Tum'ah, the 49th level of impurity, to the 49th level of purity. Each day involves not only an ascension from one negative level to the negative level above it, because that should take double the days, right? Minus 49, 49 days later, you're at zero. Minus, so how many more days do you need? Another 49 days. But 49 days after they left Egypt, they got the Torah indicating that each day involved the uprooting of a negative, but a simultaneous flipping over of the other side of the coin with an attainment of the positive. So as an example, one of the things we learn from that process is that every negative trait within a person has within it, channeled properly, a positive outcome. There's nothing in your persona which is just negative to the point that it needs to be cut out, the opposite. It needs to be flipped. It needs to be switched. 49 days later, they had not just arisen from negative 49 to zero, they'd arisen from negative 49 to plus 49. My friends, so what then is the jumping of God? In the Haggadah, we say a very interesting line. We say, God says it two times. And I said to you, in your blood shall you live. In your blood shall you live. What was God saying to the Jewish people? Our rabbis explain that God said to the Jewish people, at this point in time, after being slaves for 200 years, you are nearly indistinguishable from your Egyptian counterparts. Even the Malachim, it says, when the Jewish people came to the Yamsuf and it came time to split the ocean, the angels said to God, why are you splitting the ocean for these people and not for these people? Halalu of the Abu these, i.e., the Egyptians, they worship idols. The halalu and these, the Jews, of Din Abu they worship idols as well. 200 years of pain and suffering had corrupted the Jews. They didn't have mitzvot. And I always like to point out 
that while on the surface level, this angelic conversation only yielded for us the fact that the Jewish people had wor were worshiping idols. But I have another question for you. If the Jews had any other mitzvot, what should the answer to the angels have been? It is true that they both worship idols, but the Jews, they pray three times a day in the Beit HaKneset. They, they, do, they both worship idols, but these guys eat kosher. They both worship idols. These guys keep halachot of nida, of family purity. They, there was an answer. The angels would have had something to say. But from continuation of the Gemara, where the Gemara says and explains what God's answer was, God doesn't answer that they had mitzvot, indicating that there was nothing to say. They were identical to the Egyptians in every way. The only differentiation that was apparent or evident between the Jews and the Egyptians was Shiloshinu et Shimam. They didn't change their name. Shiloshinu et Leshonam. They didn't change their language. Shiloshinu et Malbusham. They didn't change their clothing. <clears throat> Other opinions have one more Shiloshinu. But none of them, none of them, none of these are mitzvot. Language, they kept their Jewish names. I always say this, important thing. You see that the, a, a part of the salvation of the Jewish people from Egypt is because they named their kids Jewish names. It's important to name your kids Jewish names. You know, uh, we have lots of people today that they don't have a Jewish name. That's not how it's supposed to be. They're named after some grandmother, some grandfather, and, and the name is a name in English, in Arabic, in Yiddish, any name. A person should have a Jewish name. Some would argue and say that those names are Jewish, but if they're a word in Arabic, or if they're a word in, in German, or if they're a word in Polish, it, it's not, that's not the name. That's not part of a Jewish name, a name in Hebrew, a Lashon Kodesh. If a person doesn't have one, then they should get one. My friends, they sell them in Eichler's, in aisle four, no. My friends, that would be the ultimate scam ever. Could you imagine that? You open up a website and you sell Jewish names. You charge more for the popular ones, right? Some nice new ones you make NFTs out of. Okay. My friends. So the Jewish people had no mitzvot. And the rabbis tell us that God said, you need a mitzvah to be saved. I'm going to give you two mitzvot. Dam milah, the blood of Brit milah. And Dam Pesach, and the blood of the Korban Pesach. These two mitzvot save the Jews. The Jewish people do the mitzvot, and what does God say? Va'omer lach chayi. I said to you, in your blood shall you live. Va'omer lach chayi. I said to you, in your blood shall you live. My friends, we learn from here something amazing. We learn from here, number one, that when a person is in a difficult situation, they need a mitzvah in order to be saved. 
We know that the Jewish people were crying out to God, right? They were crying out. And their prayers reached the heavens. So God prayed. They prayed to God. But praying is not enough. That's what we're learning here. Ve'at erom ve'erya, you were naked, you were revealed, right? You didn't have any mitzvot. Arom mena mitzvot, you were naked from mitzvot. God says, I'm going to give you a mitzvah. What do you learn from here? That to be saved, what do you need? Need a mitzvah. So if a person is going through something difficult, aside from the tefillot they're praying, they should take on a mitzvah that they're going to do to the best of their ability. And that helps them achieve some form of salvation. That helps them with their parnasah, helps them with the shiduchim. People ask me all the time, Rabbi, should I speak to Moshad Khanim? Rabbi, Rabbi, what should I do? Tell me what else I should do. I'm putting my resume out. What else should I do? I feel like there's nothing else for me to do. You know what I say? Yes, you should speak to one Moshad Khan. Don't speak, don't speak to a lot of them. Speak to one Moshad Khan. Him! The Gemara says, <laughs> what does God do every single day? He arranges the shiduchim of husbands and wives. Speak to one Moshar Khan. Him. What should you do? Update your resume? Yes, you should do all the things that you could do for your resume. You need a job? Do everything you can to put the word out there that you need it. But God's the guy who gives you a job, ultimately. Not Monster. Not LinkedIn. You get the job if you're LinkedIn. Not if you're LinkedIn. My friends, so what should you do? Do a mitzvah. That's what we learn here. That's what was missing. That's what they did. My friends, so say the Chachamim, that you know what the name Pesach means, that God jumped. In the Pasuk, it tells us that God jumped over the openings of the houses. That God was Pesach, He jumped over the Petach. He jumped the opening. And I believe it's the Chidusheh Ha'rim that writes magnificently. The Pasuk says in the Navi, Pitchuli Petach. Open up for me an opening. Kehudo Shel Machat. Like the eye of a needle. Va'ani Iftach Lachem. And I will open up for you. Petachim, openings that you could drive a horse and carriage through. Open up for me an opening, like the opening of a needle. And I will widen that opening for you to the point where you could drive a horse and buggy through. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Big Ben. You should see every time you look at your cufflinks. You ever see Big Ben, that iconic face of the clock with the, all the kind of, it looks like shattered glass put together the big black hands, right? Up on the, on the tower there. <clears throat> Above the English uh, parliament, I believe, okay? My friends, when that clock, you look at that clock, it looks big, but you don't realize how big it is. You could drive side by side two double-decker English buses through the middle of the clock. That's how big the clock is. Side by side. Okay? I don't know that because I've tried in some sort of action movie sequence, driving off a, you know, the back of a truck or something. I know that because that's something, the information that I read when we went to visit. I will open for you openings that you could drive carriages through, God says. 
But you need to make an opening. You need to change. You need to say to God, I've been closed off from you. My heart, my mind, my emotions, I've been closed off. How do we close ourselves off from God when we say, I'm in charge, I'll take care of it, buck stops with me, I'm the one that makes it happen. We close, we push God out of our life. Opening that up says that there's an element of vulnerability there. You have to admit, you have to say that I'm not in charge. You have to say that I could give my best efforts and still fail. That I could turn up at work and you know what? I can't close the deal. I, Rabbi Fari, I can't give a great class. I can't. I can't run a synagogue. I can't give people good advice. Who gives people good advice? God gives people good advice. Sometimes God will choose in His kindness and His mercy, He will choose to use me as the conduit through which to give good advice, as the conduit through which to teach some good Torah. And I'm lucky if on that given day, but on any given Sunday, like they say, Hashem could decide, nope, not you no more. You got too arrogant. You thought it was you too much. You left me no room inside. So I'm out. So God says to every Jew, give me like the crack, just the tiniest opening, the opening of a needle. And I'll widen it. Say the Chachamim, but on the night of Passover, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Pasach ala Petach. He jumped the opening. God says, make me the tiniest opening and I'll appear and I'll widen it. On the night of Pesach, God says, I'm jumping even that opening. Ve'at erom ve'eriyah, you were naked. Where was your Shabbat? Where was your Tarat HaMishpacha? Where was your kosher? Where was your studying of Torah? Where was your Sedaka? Where was your Chesed? Where were all your mitzvot? You didn't have any. We didn't on that night. And that's why, my friends, I don't know if you ever wondered this. There are four sons. The Chacham, the Rasha, the Tam, and the Enu Yodea Lishol. The wise son, the wicked son, the simple son, and the son that doesn't know how to ask. And it struck me many years ago, how wicked can this son be if he's actually at the Seder? I kind of feel like, you know... <laughs> I got to feel like if, they were, if you were at a movie like the Wild West and you had one guy who was a good guy and another guy was like the wicked guy. Could you imagine the wicked guy sitting there at the sad there grumpy? Like he's not that wicked if he came. Yeah? The answer, my friends, is that it's true. And that wicked guy, ordinarily, he would not come. But the night of Pesach is different. The night of Pesach, like the kids say, hits different. And let me explain. Our, uh, our Navi in, in Sefer Shoftim tells us about Gidon. Gidon was one of the Shoftim, of one of the judges of Am Yisrael. And God appears to Gidon and he tells Gidon, I want you to lead the Jews. I want you to be back to Pelishtim. I want you to save the Jews, save the day. And listen to what Gidon says to, the, to God. 
Gidon says, I remember at the Seder, when my father would tell us about all the wonders of Egypt, all the miracles, everything that God did, God saved us. If God is with us, let him save us. This is what Gidon says. My father said, my father taught me, just now my father said at the Seder about the miracles of God. Now that doesn't sound so weird. Until you find out a little juicy tidbit about Gidon's dad. And I say juicy tidbit with full double entendre pun intended. What's the juicy tidbit? You know what Gidon's father was famous for? He would take seven days out of his schedule to fatten up calves, to bring to Avodah Zarah, to sacrifice and to slaughter animals for the sake of idol worship. It wasn't bad enough that he was bringing the Qurban. He took seven days, he was, uh, you know, he said all prayers. He made sure that they were juicy tidbits. So this idol worshiper of a father, who spends a week each time he brings a sacrifice to bring the Qurban, Mehadrin mina Mehadrin. He didn't bring regular cows. OU wasn't kosher enough. He wanted the HL kashrut. The kashrut, the badats edacharedit. The meat had to be SBD, Ali. Bishul Yisrael. He was makpid on his korbanot. Guy's wicked guy, right? What's he doing leaving a seder? What's he doing teaching his kid about the wonders of God and how God took the Jews out of Egypt and he did all these miracles? And the answer is, the night of Pesach, God jumps the opening. Even the smallest. And there's a space, spiritually, there's a space emotionally, there's a shefa of spirituality which pours down on the earth where even the most wicked rasha wants to, desires, hears the call, wants to be present. The single greatest affected mitzvah, kept mitzvah in all of Judaism, little known fact, is Seder night. Did you know that? More Jews come to Seder than come to Yom Kippur. Did you know that? It's not the food. Seder night, constipation, man. Seder night, wait for dinner till forever. Seder night, stay up late. You want to be stretchy pants on the couch by 8.30, right? There are better nights if you're coming for anything but the spirituality. All you get for the first hour and a half is a carpas, you know, in salt water. Like, that is the worst appetizer ever. Right, worst crew today. <laughs> At least give me like some nice hikama. Come on. Guys, the night of Pesach is a miracle in and of itself. It's a miracle because God gives us the miracle for free. And therefore, even though the Jews had no mitzvot, what does God do? God gives them the, the dam milah, the dam Pesach to do. I want, I want you to understand what that means. I want you to imagine a husband and wife that are estranged from one another. 
They've started fighting. They did things. They said things. There's no love anymore between them. Could you imagine the wife coming back to the husband and saying, listen, it's been already a year. We've been separated. I don't love you. You don't love me. <laughs> we don't really have a connection. You haven't done anything. You haven't said anything. Read this card and I'll take you back. And the guy says, he's a little weirded out, but he's been alone. Better know, better hurt than nobody. And he's like, I love you. You are the best. Um, I am sorry. Please take me back. <laughs> and by mistake, she signed it with her own name. <laughs> signed, Gertrude. <laughs> Do you understand? Is that meaningless? They have no mitzvah. God says to them, just do this and I'll take you out. Would you do it? I would have danced around in circles around the fire in my underwear. No problem. God, whatever you want, you're in charge. Ten makot later, he tells me to do something, I'm jumping. My friends, God in his kindness allowed for that to be counted. God in his kindness says on this night, I'm welcoming you back. And on some level, there's a power and a strength of Pesach that gathers you in, that brings you fresh freedom that is unavailable on any night of the year. Don't waste the night. What you can achieve in your teshuvah, in your elevation, in your family connections, in your letting go of bad habits, in your turning over a new leaf, in your being free, what you can achieve that night is epic. Don't forget to pray on the night of the Seder. A lot of those tefillot, everyone thinks of them and they're thinking only backwards. Oh, Hashem, you did that. Thank you. What are we giving thank you for 3,300 years about then? No, as it says in the Haggadah, you're being freed today. That means that you're also asking for what you're going through in the night of the Seder. So when you're feeling freedom, there's a implied and a silent prayer to God in that, to become free from something that's hanging around your neck. Some trauma, some sadness, something you need to move forward from. That is the power of this day. And God says, tonight, you don't even have to do anything. You just come, read the card I gave you. Participate. Get engaged, don't be cranky. Don't keep saying about how let's go, let's go, let's go, I want to eat already. And I tell this to people all the time. Feed your family before Pesach. You know, there's a time you can't eat hametz after. Fine. But there's other foods in this world other than hametz. Okay? Have a baked potato with cheese and broccoli. You know, pack, do a carb load. Eat something so that, that no one's rushing. Have the kids or the cranky adults who act like kids, send them for a flipping nap. It's the most powerful night of the year in its lane. Don't waste it. That, my friends, is the intimation and the implication of God calling this holiday Pesach. It's a time when He jumped over what we needed to do. 
He jumped over what we needed to be. You don't got to be anything to win this prize. And also, it means that we have the opportunity to affect a quantum jump. What did they used to call that, right? When uh, Scotty would be beamed up, right? You could jump from one place to another in the universe. You could jump from one time zone to another, right? Try, what is it called? What was it called? Teleport. You could teleport to another place. That's the power of Pesach. Teleporting to a place where you are not at if you get involved. May Hashem bless us to get involved. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. 